is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm your host, Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Analysis and CEO of Wealth Management Company, Empirical Wealth Management. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. If you'd like to uh, contact us, this is a live broadcast today, and I would love to get your emails and or phone calls during the show if you'd like to contribute or have any suggestions or ideas that you want to share. You can email us at contact at empiradio.com. That's contact at empiradio.com, and Simon Luar in-house radio producer here will be checking those emails and passing them along. Otherwise, you can call us, uh, call the show directly at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. We're manning the phones as we speak, high above the uh, Seattle City and the Empirical Towers here. My co-host, Ethan Brogo, is a little late. I think he'll be joining us at some point. And uh, here at Empirical, I want to share with you and invite you to contact us at the firm if you are in a position where you are making a financial decision, maybe a financial planning decision. Maybe that is, do you know when you want to retire? Do you know how much money you should be putting away for retirement? Do you know what types of vehicles you should be saving in? And would you like somebody to share some ideas with you on that that... Uh, are not going to sell you some product at the end of it. Um, that would be one example. If you're in that situation, um, please give us a call here at the uh, office at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. And if you are making a financial planning decision and you want us to talk about that or help you through that offline, um or an investment decision about the way your assets are allocated for, maybe it's for college education, maybe it is for your retirement, maybe it's for other goals and objectives. We'd be happy to give you a free overview, take a look at what you've got going, help you through some risk tolerance analysis, how much uh, uh, risk should, be you t- you should, should you be taking, and uh, how should you structure your portfolio to maximize your opportunity for success. Those are things we try to do day in and day out with the clients we work with. And if you mention the show, 
Even if you don't have our normal half a million dollar minimum, we'd be happy to help you any way we can. So I invite you to do that. And Simon, I want to say happy birthday to one of our financial advisors, Serena Lee. It's her birthday today. So Serena, happy birthday. She's out, uh, hopefully enjoying her time off on her her birthday. Um, Simon, anything else I missed there? Ethan usually does the contact us. No, I think stuff. that's it. That's it? Okay. I thought uh, last week we were talking about uh, 10 steps that every investor should be taking right now or considering uh, to to w- when looking at um, using our the empirical investment philosophy, so how they're constructing their portfolio. And we were going to get into some discussion about the fiscal cliff and how that's affecting or should affect or lack of effect, if that's the case, Simon, on what you should be doing with your portfolio now. How should you be positioned as a result? And I asked uh, our director of research, Eric, to put together some uh, current articles. And uh, I just thought we'd go through them together and uh, and and get get a good understanding of what's going on with this fiscal cliff issue uh, by some of the other financial journalists out there. And then Ethan and I can share with you how we are handling this with our clients and how we believe that any investor uh, should be approaching this fiscal cliff issue. Hey, Ethan's just walking in. Welcome, Ethan. I'll let you get your, your gear on. And I'm just... Uh, Introducing our topic today, which is going to be talking about the fiscal cliff, and um, are we going to fall over the edge of it? I appreciate that, Simon. Um, and the market has actually been doing pretty well recently. We've had a pretty nice rebound today. That was up forty, almost forty points at uh, thirteen thousand seventy-four, and so. Um, not bad considering what uh, I think many are perceiving as uncertainty surrounding our economic situation. And actually, Ethan, you passed an article that I thought we'd start with that was in the USA Today. Um, looks like a, a T. Rowe uh, interview from a manager at T. Rowe. I thought I'd read through it real quick. And Sounds then we'll good. just We'll dive into this. Welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Sorry, I'm a little late today. Had uh, some problem. You're a busy individual trying to help investors one at a time. It was I was over in, uh, in Redmond today, uh, oh, great. so took a little time to get back. No problem. No problem. Uh, okay, investors should be. This was just uh, a couple days ago here that this came out. It's not all about the fiscal cliff. That's a refreshing sentiment. While stock markets are being held in thrall. By every comment from lawmakers in Washington on the state of uh, budget negotiations, if no deal on the budget is reached by the end of the year, huge tax increases and spending cuts will start to take effect. January 1, economists say those measures could push the U.S. back into a recession. Yet Bill Stromberg, director of global equity and global equity research at Baltimore-based T. Rowe Price, says that the cliff shouldn't be the investor's main focus. Artificially low interest rates are biggest are the biggest anomaly in financial markets today, says Stromberg. When borrowing rates fall, bond prices rise, and that has created a surge of cash flooding into bond funds. Investors have added $224 billion to taxable bond funds in the first 10 months of the year, while withdrawing a net $85 billion 
from U.S. stock funds, according to research from Morningstar. Hmm. So, Ethan, I, that's been a trend, uh, not just through this fiscal cliff news cycle. Sure. Um, but as we went through the financial crisis, yeah. starting in 2008, we saw some pretty heavy outflows of um, equity funds and into bond funds from then to now, actually. There's been, um, you know, if we look at the net over that whole time period. Right. And we see that every time equities begin to, um, usually the it pinnacles at the very bottom of the market. But uh, it is interesting to see uh, um, that that has gone on this year, you know, for the first 10 months that people have continued to pour money into bonds. And to the degree that that money was, um, because if you had $224 billion going into bond funds, but $85 billion kept coming out of stock funds, some of that money must be coming from cash or somewhere else. Right. Um, so to the degree that it was sitting in cash, there's nothing necessarily, we'll get to his views on this, but I don't see anything wrong with deploying your investments and doing it in a balanced approach, right? Some of it should be bonds mm-hmm, if it's done correctly. And we've talked on the show several times, I think, how do you do that correctly by managing the quality of the, the bond investments? And most importantly, at a time like this, managing the duration, not buying Perpetual securities or 30-year maturity securities, I would advise you to keep those maturities relatively short unless you're really, really positive that you're going to hold on to the bonds uh, until the maturity dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, it may not make a whole lot of sense if you're going to potentially lose reinvestment opportunity. Uh, so we typically with these reasonable range helps you optimize your risk-return trade-off, and particularly during a period of uh, potentially rising interest rates, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So that's what's gone on, is money is, is really flooded into these bond funds. But I don't think it's flooding in because people think there's great returns in bond, bonds right now. <laughs> I think they're saying, I'm earning absolutely nothing on cash, and uh, I need some, I need, I'd like to get some kind of yield. or some. And even though it's incredibly low, it's better than zero. Right. Which is what they're getting in, in their bank account, mm-hmm. and adjusting for inflation, they're actually losing or paying to be it, to have that money sitting in bank accounts, and maybe they're not so excited about being in stocks because of what's gone on in the stock market. Yeah, sure. Uh, a view that we don't agree with, but we'll see. Let's, let me proceed on here. Okay. Any thoughts about that? About that, Ethan? You know, I about think Stromberg here. I think uh, in terms of the, the bond Stromberg-y. comment, I think you're exactly right. I mean, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have said it much differently. Okay. So here's what uh, Stromberg says. He says uh, the question was how how should investors think about the fiscal cliff? He says I personally don't think the average I don't think average investors should be structuring their portfolio around the idea of a short term deadline in the market at all. Their long-term asset allocation and choices of investments should be based on much longer-term horizons. Would you disagree with that? I would not disagree with that. I when 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 people uh, hedge or whatever preface by saying the average investor, I don't know who isn't an average investor. So <laughs> you'd have to explain that one to me. So if you're an above-average investor, does that mean you should be placing your positioning yourself? For a short-term deadline, <laughs> or a below-average investor? Uh, I think it's <laughs> a funny way to look at it. 
uh, I think he just means most people. Uh, oh, okay. I, in fact, are there a few bright people that are? I would are, say everybody. Everybody okay. should be making portfolio decisions. Is what Stromberg doing? relative to their own situation? Okay. Not not trying to guess short term market movements uh, or anything of the sort, um, but instead basing your decisions of how much allo- what your allocation is and how much risk you have based on your own you know circumstances and, and risk tolerance and, and, and goals and so forth. Okay. My preface or my uh, clarification on that would be: if you're a speculator, you should be doing that all the time, right? That's what you do: is you're constantly changing and yeah. trying to predict what what the future will hold and how things will will come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's different than saying the average investor. That's just being the difference between: a, are you a serious investor? Is investing your capital with an expected return for a given amount of risk, or are you speculating? Are you at the casino? Uh, that would be a better separation of those two groups. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure he's getting at uh, you know uh, poor investors or uh, people who aren't good at investing. Yeah, <laughs> that was just my joke. It actually. was funny. Uh, yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Can I get a little laugh or something? Um, okay. <laughs> How will changes in the dividend tax rate impact investor behavior? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the level of the joke. People will decide that they still need income. This is Stromberg. The available income choices in the fixed income markets are less appealing because rates have come down as as much as they have, and income-oriented stocks will remain a reasonable choice for the investment dollar, and people are going to continue to own them. A lot of stocks are owned in tax-protected IRAs or in retirement accounts that are not taxed. So those folks will see no change. IRAs, 401ks, tax-deferred savings plans, and even more are more beneficial when tax rates go up. So hopefully you will see more people maximizing their contribution to those tax-protected vehicles than ever. So I think that's an interesting point. I mean, people are going to want income out of their portfolio. Yeah. I think the real issue, though, with the dividend change is does it does it affect corporate policy? Um, if dividends get taxed at ordinary income rates, corporations have a different evaluation process as to whether they decide to pay out their returns in, in dividends is all. Sure. When there's preferential treatment, they have an incentive to do that, even though there are large quantities of money in tax-protected vehicles. Uh, it still is. It still it still functions that way. Mm-hmm. I agree. So we've talked about, and that research is available. That really the expected return between a, uh, a larger dividend-paying firm and a, and a lower dividend, to the degree that it's not explained by them being a value or low-priced company relative to a growth or high-priced company, mm-hmm. should be the same. Right. Should be the same expected return. It's really a function of what is your preference in terms of how you would want to receive that. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly during tough economic times or times where people doubt the um, reporting by companies, whether they have the earnings that they're claiming to have, dividends can be a preferred method of because you're getting that cash flow right you see out of it. Right. And I do appreciate the point he makes. I think we might have to take a break here, Simon, and let me know. Oh, I guess we'll take it now. Good timing. Uh we're talking about the fiscal cliff, and we're just going to go through some articles here when we come back and continue this discussion of how you should position your portfolio. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 
Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, uh, Ethan Broga, alongside uh, Ken Smith as well. Um, we were talking today about the fiscal cliff, and uh, we're covering an article that was written, uh, or rather published, in the USA Today a couple days ago, and uh, walking through it and giving our two cents on the topic. And uh, Ken, I think we're where are we on this? That we're about. There? Just, the question was about tax uh, rates having an impact on investor behavior with dividend tax rates. So one of the things that may happen is that uh, right now there's some reasonably good treatment on dividends, Mm -hmm. but that may change and the rates may go up. And so how would that change uh, investor behavior? And my view would certainly be that it would be less exciting to be realizing, um, certainly when dividend rates were at ordinary income rates, it wasn't an exciting thing to buy high dividend stocks as much in a taxable account. Right. So it might. It, I would think that it would affect the behavior in that realm. But the point he makes about as as rates go higher, uh, as a result of um, the uh, you know the, the election, and clearly that is a big part of the Democratic plan is getting revenue, and they w- want to see uh, taxes go up above particularly for those making above $250,000. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That group is probably a bigger, pretty good group of people holding dividend, paying stocks and other securities as well. But uh, to the degree that you can participate in some of these tax-deferred plans, that type of planning uh, becomes more and more valuable as those tax rates go up. Right. So what are some of the lessons you've learned from the market this year? 
Stromberg says broad diversification across global fixed incomes and income and stocks makes sense for just about everyone. Something that we say almost every single time we talk. Yes. For now, not just now, uh, but I know we were saying that decade plus ago. That made a lot of sense. A good idea is always a good idea. And it still makes a lot of sense. This year, U.S. stocks have done better than most after a long period when emerging markets international did better. I would bet you that over the next five years, the outcome is probably going to be different. Yeah. Judging and picking when those outcomes are going to happen is a very hard game, even for a professional like Stromberg. <laughs> Long-term... <laughs> Might be especially for professionals. <laughs> Long-term orientation to your thinking also makes sense. People who are trying to guess the short legislative iterations are just going to be frustrated. An individual's ability to handicap that is very low. So getting a sensible uh, long-term allocation, sticking with it, and sticking to your plan makes a lot of sense. You know, I got some... Oh, I'm sorry. Is that... Uh, well, you can jump in right there. Yeah. I was There's just some more, but go ahead. Comment on uh, the returns really quick. Um, yeah. Actually, I'm calling this up as we speak here, but... He mentioned in the, just a minute ago that uh, that the last couple of years, U.S. stocks have done better than international emerging markets, which is true. We've talked about that on the radio before. We, we highlight the performance of uh, many asset classes over the um, once a month, at least we go over those sorts of things. Uh-huh. Uh, recently, in fact, I, I've been obviously aware that that's been going on and been talking about it with clients as we get together. Hey, well, the U.S. has been doing pretty well. S&P stocks, the Dow has done relatively relatively well versus other asset classes you could own, like international emerging markets and so forth and so on. But what's unique about it, or what's interesting now, is that uh, you're really seeing the, the tide begin to turn, in fact, already. And uh, I was looking at this this morning, and um, basically, for since July 31st, you've had a situation where developed international stocks, as, as an example, are about 13, no, no, about 11% between July 31st and now. Uh, and the Dow Jones and the S&P are also are very, very low. I think the Dow is uh, flat returns, and the S&P is only up like 2% for the same period. So I think we begin to see that tide shift already, Yeah, is my point. Interesting. Well, that is very interesting. Um, okay. Um, Stromberg says... Uh, if you look at a lot of company situations where the management team and board haven't done a good job, where the board has been distracted, where there's been a lot of change in turnover in management, some of the basic signals that companies send are really worth paying attention to. Trying to find situations where companies are doing sensible thing, that's really important. So I believe the Stromberg is the head of their equity group, is, is engaged in active, uh, traditional active management which is fundamental, uh, maybe stock picking, yeah. because the funds that he's involved in, particularly, um, I believe, are actively managed mutual funds. And uh, so, because a lot of what I'm reading from him would lead me to believe that he would believe in the empirical evidence about trying to predict markets and trying to uh, add value by outsmarting the market through being able to predict which areas will be hot or which areas will be cold and avoiding or overweighting towards those areas. Mm-hmm. But a lot of active managers do that, Ethan. Um, they do believe in global diversification now. They didn't always. Yeah. Um, but most of them have come, be- I think, mostly by survival. If they don't embrace that, they wouldn't have survived. They won't survive because it's such an accepted concept. Um, 
and the numbers are very clear now. It's hard to hide behind that. Right. It's hard to be a large cap U.S. manager during a time, as he pointed out, for 10 years where it was the worst performing asset class and the simple solution was diversifying out to other unique asset classes. <laughs> Much easier, yes. So most of them I've seen over the last decade have slowly but surely fallen in terms of saying, in the firm I was first affiliated with right um, earlier in my career, believed that all you needed to do was pick 40 stocks that could be U.S. growth or value type stocks. And the rest of it really wasn't that important. That's how you, you manage a great portfolio. Even uh, the Vanguard founder, Vogel himself, in his book, if you pick it up, Common Sense, I think it's on mutual funds, is one of the iterations where he said um, investing in international companies was chasing castles in the sky or mm. something of that nature. That You don't really need to do that because the grass isn't greener. Um, but those viewpoints really missed and overlooked a lot of very sound research about how markets work and function and the concepts of this body of work that we call modern portfolio theory, where you say, hey, if there's, if I can, the only free lunch around the market is to say, hey, I don't need to take risks that I, I don't necessarily get rewarded for. And if I can't predict which areas of the U.S. stock market are going to do great, how can I predict it around the world? Right? Mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm. Across. Um, so all I'm saying is, as the traditional active managers, including Stromberg here, have embraced this a little behind schedule, in my view, but as they're embracing it, they're getting closer and closer to having to answer the question of, well, if I do believe that, that I can't position myself around the fiscal cliff, right, or short term, and that really everyone should be in a globally diversified mix, you're one step away from getting to the real truth, which is, I need to stop fooling around picking stocks, too. You know, right? Um, and I, I know that's probably not the point of where all this was going, but um, I can't help it. While as we're reading through it, when you have active managers giving the kind of advice that that uh, we get, but then stopping short in just one area, um, which is that. And lastly, they asked him, "What are your expe- expectations for 2013?" Typically, early in the in new presidential terms, administrations try to get the hard work done and take some pain to deal with the issues. So I'd expect a modestly positive, but not a particularly great market. It's an interesting uh, way of phrasing that. A modestly positive, but not a particularly great market. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd expect Congress to try and get its arms around taking some hard medicine for the country. That will send positive long-term signals, but will keep a lid on growth in the near term. I wouldn't expect extraordinary return over the next year, but I think over the next five to ten years, you could probably expect six, seven, or eight percent compounded annualized returns from stocks and maybe an order of three to four percent in a mixture of bonds. It's slightly below long-term averages for both categories, but still not really bad results. The country is working off a lot of its excesses. A lot of our peers around the globe are beginning to work off some of their excesses, even in Europe. We feel better about emerging markets over the next three years than we have in quite some time, given that those markets have lagged uh, and their economies have continued to grow. Well, good stuff. about that? So I think his, his overall um, point that you kind of liked, Ethan, was that you shouldn't be – 
making a lot of dramatic changes in your portfolio as a result of what's going on in the very short term with the fiscal cliff and potential tax changes and or um, uh, spending cuts that are ready to happen because over the long run, yeah. we will eventually get through this and there are the decisions on what they do if they let us go off the cliff, uh, which is a possibility. And if we have time, I was just going to keep reading these articles. Mm-hmm. Um, may have some negative effect in the short term on global U.S. and global growth, but to the long term, would it affect what your opportunity set is in investing in stocks and bonds and other securities around the world? Maybe, but not enough for me to to take a chance on. Um, permanently reducing my returns by being out at the wrong times mm-hmm. would be my philosophy around that. I also like the point, and I agree with it, that um, he's basically making a case as well to, to maintain your diversification, be invested in international and, and emerging markets as well, uh, in spite of their you know, lagging performance over the last couple of years relative to the U.S., which obviously I think is a, a good thing as well. All right. Well, there's a Vanguard article here, Ethan. It's called "What the Fiscal Cliff," um, what a fiscal cliff might mean for America and the world. And uh, I thought maybe we could read through this and see if there's anything to okay to winnow out. Um, Simon, let me know when we're getting ready to do a break here. Uh, if the U.S. economy drops off fiscal cliff, just how far might we fall, and would the rest of the world follow us downward? Vanguard senior economist Roger Diaz believes the fiscal cliff, the term some observers are using to describe a combination of $600 billion in automatic federal spending cuts and tax increases that may take effect January of 2013, could push the United States into a recession almost immediately and trigger shockwaves around the world affecting America's biggest trading partners the most. Action to prevent such a debacle may come in the lame duck session of Congress between November election and late December, but some observers are warning that it's possible no firm policy decisions will come until well into the new year. Well, this was written actually, and I'm looking at it. Um, Eric sent me this, but it was back at the end of October. Mm -hmm. So that's why it sounds a little bit dated. Um, But I think some of the uh, implications here might be relevant. We're going to take a, we've got about 30 seconds. Why don't we break, Ethan, then we'll, I'll go through this real quick and a couple of the other ones and we come back. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of re-tackle this fiscal cliff issue. Sounds good. If you want to give us a call or email us again, it's 866-472-5790 or contact at empiradio.com. This is Ken and Ethan. We'll be right back with Empirical Investing Radio. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host, Ethan Brogo, alongside, I guess it's your co-host too, right, Ken? Is that how that works? I don't know if we're supposed to say co-host every single time or if you just say, I'm Ethan. And I feel like you're the main host. I'm sure the co-host yeah, is why I, I say that. I don't really know. Yeah, well, I'm not works. sure what the protocol is. I say just introduce yourself and be comfortable. You know, I'm Ethan. <laughs> I'm definitely that. Um, you know, wearing my, my T-shirt right now, feeling very comfortable in the, yeah. in the radio program. Rolling up your sleeves. Exactly. <laughs> So yeah, we were just talking about the uh, fiscal cliff. Sounds like you have several articles we could go through. And yeah, we were just talking about one here before the break. And I wanted to jump over to the Morning Star. We I was starting to read the Vanguard, but I I, I think the Morning Star posts are a little more updated. And I, I wanted to go through it a couple of shows ago. Okay. And one of the things I was telling, uh, just as a preface, Ethan, that uh, we were meeting with a um, an investor the other day, and they were saying, "Hey, how do you feel about the?" the fiscal cliff and those types of things. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, the word itself, fiscal cliff, I, I'd love to see if anyone's tracking how many times that's been printed <laughs> in the last few months. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think there's anyone, it would be very difficult to anyone who's looked at any kind of financial information at all to not be familiar with this fiscal cliff word, right? So the biggest money managers in the world and the people who really are moving markets on a day-to-day basis, it would be pretty... Uh, preposterous to think that they haven't examined the fiscal cliff concept of what's going on and price that into the market. So we talk about in sporting events, if you're betting on different uh, sports teams, it's not enough to know that something will or will not happen. Uh, You also know how to help equalize for that, there's usually a, a point spread. Yeah, to benefit, you have to beat the spread, right? Right. And so to the degree the fiscal cliff is going to have an effect on the economy and the markets, to the best that you can in advance of unpredictable information coming out, it's priced in. So to the degree that that the information's out there and the smartest minds have evaluated and said this is what's likely to happen and how it will affect the economy and the markets, that theoretically should already be priced in the current market price. Yeah. It'll be it's other things that are moving the market. 
um, whether it be that, hey, they're coming to a solution that's actually better than anything we would have thought based on all the information we have, or the other way around. Yeah. It's easy to lump those all together, though, when we're just doing very naive calculations on our own um, or evaluations of what the market's doing day-to-day and what the news is that's coming out. But in reality, very, very smart people, uh, PhDs, and one of the, the physicists that we interviewed look at these things and they understand how these concepts work a little better than I do, Ethan. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a messenger here trying to pass on and... My journey in all this is to try to figure out what's the practical application for myself, for my family, and for all of our clients in terms of how we're trying to invest right. their money. Mm-hmm. And I'm frustrated with how a lot of bad advice that's not supported by anything gets given out regularly and is rarely being called uh, to account for. And we were using the Harry Dent example, the guy who um, dramatically miscalculated the, the where the market was going to go uh, prior to the technology bubble, he was saying it would hit something like twenty thousand. No, no, forty thousand. I always get that wrong. Forty thousand. <laughs> uh, Thank you for that. Yeah, forty thousand. And now he was on recent, not earlier this year. We were saying, and now he's saying the market's going to three thousand, right? Yeah. But how he even got on after making such an incredibly horrible um, and preposterous, and if people actually invested according to his advice could be completely financially devastating predictions. How does he get airplay or even yeah. get any, uh, and any of these guys, by the way? Blows my mind um, a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense other than understanding the whole business, the financial media and also Wall Street. Right. And doing your best to not allow that to to control or direct how you choose to invest your money. Mm-hmm. Ethan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not easy. That's what we're trying to share here. Um so, back over to this. Navigating the fiscal cliff. And if you go to the Morningstar page, and we have a advisory subscription to Morningstar, but I think this is just on the general public part of Morningstar. You don't even have to have a, a subscription to if you wanted to read it. Um, and it's within their uh, article, article section on their homepage, I think, and it says navigating, and they've got a whole list of reports they've been chronicling for the last few months on, on the fiscal cliff issues. So what's on right off the beginning here, um, as of December 4th, it's just one of the biggest question marks hanging over investors' heads right now is how or if Congress will fix the looming fiscal cliff. On January 1, a slew of new tax changes and spending cuts is poised to take place. Bush-era tax cuts will expire. The alternative minimum tax, often referred to as AMT, will snare more taxpayers. The payroll tax holiday will sunset. And the new investment surtax to pay for the Affordable Care Act will take effect. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that Medicare component that goes on to the investment gains. Yeah, it's additional three point eight percent. Three point eight percent tax above AGI of uh, two fifty if you're you're married and two hundred if you're single. Okay, and then and uh, on the spending side, defense, discretionary spending, and entitlement cuts are on the deck, mm-hmm. and unemployment insurance will be scaled back. All in all, the cuts will. Could amount, by some estimates, to more. We heard six hundred in the in the earlier Vanguard, but they're saying now seven hundred billion dollars. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office reckons that the economy would shrink by half a percent if, in 2013 if current law is followed, and that unemployment would rise up to nine point one percent. So, what are we hovering around right now? About eight percent. 
Yeah, just under, I think. Okay. 7.9, if I recall. Um, but how likely are we to fall over the cliff? So now we don't, we don't have a lot of time here. This is January. There seems to be some broad uh, agreement on some items. Indexing the AMT to inflation, alternative minimum tax. Eliminating the payroll tax holiday. But will dispute over raising rates on taxpayers earning more than $250,000 derail the entire deal? And what does all of this uncertainty mean for investors? So below they've compiled uh, uh, Morningstar's take as well as outside expert opinions to these questions, and they'll update their thing. Um, so last one here on December 4th was family-friendly tax breaks and risk from fiscal cliff. But before we go any further on that, Ethan, do you have any thoughts? I mean, you kind of know what the issue is here. Mm-hmm. You've got the the tax, uh, the Bush tax cuts expiring, and then you've got some spending cuts that would automatically go in. So uh, the combination of, of those things saying, hey, that would have a negative effect on our economy. Yeah, I don't think there's anything really doubt about that. I think that, that that's what would happen. You remove that type of money from the economy overnight, and that's a recession is, uh, I think, unavoidable. And we saw, um, we we were lucky enough to see Simpson and Bowles, the two, um, that uh, Erskine Bowles and Alan Simpson, yeah, uh, put a commission together to mm-hmm. come up with solutions. Uh, to avoiding the fiscal cliff and getting our debt paid down, and a lot of their solutions were very straightforward um, and and bipartisan, actually. Yep. And their their overall um, assessment was, hey, this would be very easy to fix if if we actually were more concerned about fixing it and not so concerned about political posturing. Yeah, or getting um, reelected. Reelected. Right. What, I think what, one of the quotes from there uh, was that we need, um, uh, you know, now I can't remember the quote all of a sudden, but uh, yeah, basically we need we need not politicians but patriots. That's right. right now. They need they need to get their heads together and work together to solve the problem. And they actually, you recall, Ken, they put together this website called fixthedebt.org um, that um, you know that we, we we asked one of the ways how can the the ordinary person um, have their voice heard as to Hey, we want you guys to work together. And one of the things they, they had said is, uh, all of us can go to their, their website, fixthedebt.org, and, uh, you know, basically plug in your information and say, hey, you want this to get worked out. And then I'll basically petition the people in Congress to get, get, uh, get on the stick and do some, do the work they need to get Yeah, done. if you go there right now, actually, fixthedebt.org, mm-hmm. uh, right when you get there, it says, take action, sign the citizen's petition to fix the debt and demand a common sense solution to prevent disaster. And renew America's economic strength, and they—they're both uh, reasonably funny guys, actually. I, I was surprised can, how funny they both are. Yeah, it was—it was very actually uh, um, enlightening to hear them speak and um, come at this from a problem of it's not there's not a Republican or Democratic uh, solution. There is a solution or a set of solutions that make a lot of reasonable sense. Right. And some of the examples of the different agencies and their constituencies that very common sense things um, that they would change, how, how it would make people angry, no matter how unreasonable the benefit or the cut um, or the lack of cut would be, uh, it is very saddening to me, you know, that we're not all trying to figure this out. Right. 
uh, as a country and saying, hey, let's do what's best for the country. It gives everybody the greatest chance to have a, a positive economic future mm-hmm. because we're all better off if the economy at large does better. No doubt, right? And we have a low unemployment rate. Yep. Um, regardless of whether some of us pay a little more taxes, which I think is reasonable, mm-hmm. or we don't waste money on things that aren't really necessary or benefit a group or some group that doesn't need it. Right. Um, but because we've always done it, it's harder to take away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would encourage you to go to there. I'm going to do it right now, actually, Ethan. Yeah. Put my name in. Uh, and as a show of support that, hey, we need to get this fixed. Uh, regardless of what the short-term investment implications of this all are. This all is. <laughs> My man, Simon. Okay, so um, I wanted to click on that uh, that article. Here we go. Family-friendly uh, tax breaks at risk from fiscal cliff. Higher tax rates and government spending cuts are the, aren't the only potential changes that might affect household finances. Question. I know a fiscal cliff might mean a higher tax rate for my family and me. This is somebody on the Morningstar page here. But what family-oriented tax rates could also be affected? And the answer is federal income tax rate hikes and spending cuts seem to grab most of the fiscal cliff-related headlines, but many other less publicized tax changes are also scheduled to go in effect on January 1, including several that will hit families hardest. Some of the provisions that have been in place for a decade, having been under uh, George Bush and later extended under uh, President Obama, while others were were enacted more recently under Obama, it is possible that at least some will be extended again, or at least modified so as not to revert fully to their previous levels, but if all or most are allowed to expire, many families, especially those with low to middle incomes, will take a significant tax hit, says Jackie Perlman, a tax research analyst at the Tax Institute. Bush tax cuts and Obama tax cuts have made for some very family-friendly tax breaks. And it's not, though, these are going away, but they're certainly less robust. So I think we're going to have to take a break. Do we have one more segment when we get back? Um, we'll take a look at this during the break, Ethan, and maybe talk about that and some final conclusions on what to do with your investments right now. Okay. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Ken and Ethan, Empirical Investing Radio. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. 
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, we're here for the last segment today. We have about nine minutes left here. Um, you know, I think for the last segment, Ken, we're going to spend a little more time on this, uh, on the fix the debt issue. Um, this is such an important thing that, you know, it's facing all Americans right now. And um, if you, we talked about the website earlier, fixthedebt.org. Um, if you go there and you want to learn more about this, uh, maybe you don't know who uh, Simpson and Bowles are. Uh, as Ken mentioned, we had the pleasure of seeing them speak at the latest Schwab Impact uh, in Chicago a couple weeks ago. A pretty dynamic team, uh, those guys are, and really funny as well. But uh, anyway, there's uh, some information on the website contained under the tab uh, Media. So if you go to fixthedebt.org, uh, click on Media, and then Multimedia. And there's a whole slew of things that you can you can easily look at and, and glean information about the, the debt problem. And one of those is a, a video clip of uh, uh, Alan Simpson uh, when he was on Meet the Press. And I thought maybe we could we can pl- even play part of that clip if you want, Ken. It's about two and a half minutes long. Yeah, let me see if I can get to it. So where, where is the clip? Uh, yeah, under um, media and then under multimedia. All right, we're going to go multi on this. I think we should. I don't think singles uh, is enough. <laughs> Uni? <laughs> exactly. We're going to go multi. Yeah. Okay, uh, Deke, which one is it? Second one down. And, uh, it's, Simps- uh, it's Alan Simpson there uh, on Meet the Press. Okay, let's see if this works. You go around the country, you talk in great detail about what you propose. What is the reaction you get? People are thirsting, thirsting for somebody not to give them BS and mush. And Erskine and I give them numbers. We just say, look, pull up a chair. We're here to talk to you about math. We don't have PowerPoint. We don't have charts. We'll just tell you where your country is. They're the substance. Because it's hard. You know, the, the problems are real. The solutions are painful. There's no easy way out. And I think the candidates are afraid to stand up and say, look, we've got to make some tough choices. We've got to have some shared sacrifice. It's, it's tough to watch the, the movement and, and the, the clobbering that, that politicians are taking from, from every one of these groups. If everybody would quit talking about the little guy and do something for the little guy, and the worst thing that will happen to the little guy is going to do nothing because inflation will kick in and interest rates go up and neither guys will get hosed. If anybody thinks we're hollowing out the defense budget, the only thing being hollowed out is your brain. Because we are now at about 750 billion in defense, and the top 15 countries on Earth, including Russia and China combined, are 540 billion. Who is, where are we? We take in 1.3 trillion dollars in income tax. 1.1 from individuals, 200 billion from corporations. And people wonder, well, how can it be so, so relatively small? We're spending 3.6 trillion, and you know, how can it be so low when our when our nominal rates are so high? It's because we have all these deductions and credits in the tax code that add up to 1.1 trillion. So we're only taking in 1.3 because we're giving away 1.1. 
what we said is wipe those out, you know, and then use 92% of that money to reduce income tax rates and 8% of the money or about $100 billion a year to reduce the deficit. That's where we get to $1 trillion over 10 years. We think that's a better way to raise the revenue. But you can't get there by, you can't get there by taxing it people, you can't get there cutting spending, you can't get there unless you use a balanced approach and if they don't, you know, the word compromise does not mean you're a wimp. Uh, you learn to compromise an issue without compromising yourself and if you haven't learned that, you're not human. You've got to compromise in marriage, you've got to compromise when you're dealing with a car. Everything you do in life is a compromise, a negotiation, that's madness. That's just a little snippet from uh, some of the information that uh, Simpson and Bowles have put together. And uh, Ken, there's another um, at the end of the very last, uh, pure at the very bottom on that same page. Uh-huh. There's another uh, basically advertisement. And here's you, you get to see these guys talk a little more about this. It's another two minute clip. I think we have just enough time for it. If you might, don't mind playing it. Well, I don't mind. If it's you... the very last one on the, on the very bottom on that same page. Okay. Um, you know, I just kind of clicked out of this here real quick. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, they've been working together, these guys, uh, as a team for many years. They're part of the um, the leaders behind the bipartisan commission to help fix the debt issue. You know, back when they, they helped uh, craft the super committee's ideas as to what to be done, and ultimately the people on the committee didn't decide to do anything. Um, but their ideas are, are resonating, I think, and picking up steam, and, and I think we should share this again here. Okay, what was the clip? I'm, I'm back on there. Yeah, the very bottom of the page. And it's, uh, there we go. you have a serious problem and uh, time is short to address it. These deficits that we have today of over a trillion dollars a year, they are like a cancer and over time they are going to destroy our country from within. We don't need charts when we go out. We don't use PowerPoints. We just say, if you spend more than you earn, you lose your butt. And if you spend a buck and borrow 42 cents of it, you got to be stupid. Pretty direct. Yeah. Everybody gets the arithmetic. Everybody understands the economics. But they have to make tough political choices in order to do it. And as long as people are wor- worshiping the great God of re-election, right. then we're going to have a hard time getting to the promised land. You can't tax your way out of this. You can't cut spending your way out of this. You can't grow your way out of this. you got to have a blend, and it's got to be both parties. If we do nothing, we just waddle along like we are, we'll be spending over a trillion dollars a year on interest costs alone by the year 2020. Now think about that. For you, that's a trillion dollars that we can't spend in this country to educate the next generation of kids. It's a trillion dollars we can't spend on infrastructure. It's a trillion dollars we can't spend on research to create the next new thing over here. Well, we got about a minute here. Okay. Um, 
or so. And so we were just saying that the, the reason why we're playing this and why we're saying this is over the long ter- term, I think with our investments, our advice to you would be, or I know what our advice would be, is to stay the course. Um, if you are in retirement, certainly is now the time to be buying all emerging markets funds. You know, um, Stromberg was saying, hey, we're looking great. I'm probably not just because they're risky and stocks are risky in general. Mm-hmm. But um, separating your investment goals and objectives and strategies from the issue of our country, and I think those are slightly different things, True. because returns have tended to be rewarded based on risk. A riskier particular country is, in fact, the reason why emerging markets would generate higher rates of return is because they have more risk involved with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that perspective, uh, countries, <laughs> it's kind of a... Uh, backwards way of logic or thinking about it, right? A lot of people are worried, but in fact, the more risky we become, the higher the expected return would be from our from our from investing in us. But uh, we don't want that. I don't, I don't think that's a great approach to looking at it. But um, say the course on on the investment side of things and evaluate it in the context of your entire time frame. And I do agree with Stromberg's uh, the the. Estimates that he was making for the market between six and eight percent and yeah. three and four on the, are very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Nothing out of the park there. Right. But uh, would encourage you to go to that fixthedebt.org site and sign the petition uh, because you're not signing on any political party agenda. Right. Uh, these guys are coming from a bipartisan commission here that's just saying, "Hey, look, we can solve this if all parties compromise in all different areas." Um, Agreed. So, I think that's it for this week, Ethan. All right. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll get back to some prudent financial planning and investment techniques next week, Thursday, 2 o'clock. Thanks for coming uh, to listen to the show on Empirical Investing Radio. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.